So welcome everybody to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast and I am joined by Lauren Elliott. Lauren, welcome. Thank you. And this is a really good episode for us because a few weeks ago I interviewed Lauren Zhang and Lauren Zhang was the BBC Young Musician of the Year back in 2018. And in that episode she talked about her love and passion for music developing when she was very, very young. You actually are coming to talk to us about young children and music and in particular going to talk about your music school a family-run music school called Music Monsters so over to you so Music Monsters was established in 2018 by my husband Luke and myself and it really had been been born from the idea that children can engage with can learn so much from music from the earliest age and really there isn't a huge amount of opportunity for them to do so at the moment. So what we tend to find is that there are lots of baby and toddler music classes, the sort of class where you would learn to sing nursery rhymes and you would play percussion instruments and you would, you know, dance and you would use all your gross motor skills and things like that. And then children reach around the age of three years old and they're then told, okay, now just go into the big wide world, go to nursery, go to school, go to do all these things. But if you want a music lesson, if you want to learn to play the piano, if you want to learn to play the violin, then you've got to wait and you've got to wait until you're six or seven years old which tends to be the sort of age that most teachers are happy to to teach youngsters on a one-to-one basis and we through years of of our own study and our own research and then the most fundamental thing which was when we had children of our own we suddenly thought oh my goodness there is so much untapped potential in youngsters of this age and we're missing a huge opportunity Um, to really hone in on those skills, really embed them in the youngsters um, and also to learn an awful lot from them as well. They've got so much to give from this age between about three and seven if we give them the tools that they need and the opportunities to do so. So we formed Music Monsters at this point to provide this opportunity. And do you find a difference between the three-year-olds and the seven-year-olds in terms of their engagement? We do. They all bring something different to the table. So we tend to, we split our classes into into two groups. So we have our juniors, which are our three-year-olds. And these are children that are generally, you know, not able to to read and write yet and and these kind of things. We work with them through storytelling mostly. And so in every session, we would would tell a, a you know, a traditional story, three Billy Goats Gruff, for example, we were doing the other day. And we bring in lots of different types of art, different types of movement-based activities. We work on their fine motor skills so that they're getting that independence between their fingers. We bring in um, singing elements. And we also bring in early notational learning as well so that they are actually, from the very beginning, starting to to make that connection between what they see on the page and what they are able to, to play on their instruments. Now, at that age, we do it is very very play-based we don't expect them to sit down for 30 minutes and and sit still and not fidget and you know play this this perfect piano piece by the end of it it's not about that it's about inspiring that creativity making it a safe place for them to explore and experiment and knowing that they are able to to find their own way around the keyboard and there's nobody's ever going to tell them that they're doing it wrong we then when they're a little bit older so when they're between the ages of four and seven which is generally the age that children might be starting to go to school perhaps we then work with them in in groups of up to seven children we bring their parents in as well we pair them up with their, their 
parents or their grandparents or their grown-ups, whoever they've got with them. And we work with them as a, as a small group. Now, the older ones bring the younger ones along with them. The littler ones, they add an energy to the But because they've got that extra grown-up support as well, we find that if there are any, you know, slight differences in the abilities of the children, they've also got that extra support from that from that parent too. Could you go through some of the little exercises that, that you can do to make practice as well fun and interesting absolutely yes so within a a session what we would usually do is we would start with some kind of listening activity it's very very important to us to expose children to a wide range of music from all different styles all different genres not putting anybody in any boxes and not telling anybody that this is what you should like or this is what you should listen to we expose them to a great wide range and we learn to play along with different music and we we play games as we're listening as well we would then move on to several different challenges within that class so we might be playing with play-doh to to work their finger skills we might be composing so writing our own music and we use all different tools to do that to make it fun and make it accessible we might be playing different games with our ears and with our bodies every session is really carefully crafted to make sure that the children always have the opportunity to be up and out of their seats and move in their bodies to make sure that they always have that sort of more intense concentration bit as well and to make sure that within each term they are building all of these different blocks that we think are really really important they're learning to understand rhythms they're learning to read notes they're learning to put their fingers on the keys and play that music they're learning all of these skills and the way that we build it together makes makes this exceptional little musician at the end of it as well now in terms of practice we're actually quite unconventional because at the very beginning of their journey, we absolutely do not insist on any enforced practice at all. And in fact, when parents contact us and say, we'd really like to come to classes, but we don't have an instrument, we say, that's fine. You don't need one. We don't want to add that extra pressure at this age of a child thinking that because their parent has made this big investment, that they have to throw themselves all into this and they can't ever you know they can't ever change their mind this is all about making it as fun and as easy for families as possible so with the very little ones we we make suggestions each week of activities that they could try and of those activities two out of three of them don't involve having a keyboard or a piano at home at all they might be for example just last week we were playing a game where we were learning about different dynamics which is the different volumes the different levels and that you would play at and we were using maracas so we were playing really loud then we we're playing really quiet we we're learning the associated italian terms as well and then we were playing a game of hotter and colder so we were hiding an object in a room and the children were having to to give us clues about how close we were the closer we were to finding it the louder they were playing and as we were getting further away they were getting quieter and quieter and these are the kind of games that really um, captivate them they don't know that they're actually learning some really valuable skills and they're also quite happy to replicate and play at home as well so these are the kind of early practice things that we tend to encourage as children get a little bit older we have a whole range of of games bringing in different technologies asking them to record themselves bringing music education 
bang up to date in a way that the children are able to, to really engage with it and feel excited by it as well so that they don't think, oh, no, I've got to sit and practice. This is going to be a really boring half an hour. It's all about finding things that make them want to do it. That is really the, the, the way forward with this. One question I do have, in terms of the social socioeconomic background of the pupils that are coming to you, is it why a wider range of children because there isn't this requirement for them to actually have have an instrument which can be very expensive yeah it's one of the things that Luke and I are doing this year actually is to to, we want to form a charity to make it even more accessible because this is one of the really really big big problems especially within classical music education that it comes down to who can afford it and at the moment we are experiencing an awful amount of arts cuts funding cuts and also this rhetoric at the moment that the children have to catch up their maths and their English from everything that they missed during the pandemic but actually we believe with all of our hearts that it's the creative subjects that are going to pull the children through this and are going to help with their mental well-being and make sure that as a nation we are okay and alongside that what's happening is that these provisions are are getting less and less available within the schools as well and as soon as you take music out of school it then becomes a case of can your parents afford for you to have these lessons and sadly a lot of the time is no so that is very very important to us we partner with a lot of charities at the moment to make sure that they are it's something that is accessed by by children even if they couldn't usually afford it and as i say forming a charity to to ensure that this is something available to everybody is very very important here and just talking there about the importance of music in in the school curriculum There's a lot of research, isn't there, about the impact of music in terms of cognitive development and help and assistance with other subjects that they study in school. Could you say a little bit about that? 100 percent. I mean, learning music is about so much more than learning music. As you you say, the cognitive development, the way when we learn music, when we listen to music, when we play music, there are little sparks, little connections that go on in our brains and in the brains of young children. And it's been proven time and time again that Children who learn music have a have a, a, a stronger academic progress across the board, across everything that they're learning. Music teaches maths, it teaches language skills, it teaches social skills, it teaches spatial awareness, it teaches us to coordinate our bodies, to make that um, connection between what you see on the page, and especially playing something like the piano, where both of your hands are reading two lines of music and playing your fingers and both hands independently from each other is such an important skill for our brains. One of the places that we see this, and it it chokes me up every time really, is that you look at at much older people, people towards the the, the latter end of their life, and you see people who have lived these wonderful, enriched lives, but they are now in the grips of, of dementia. And you see them come to life again when they hear music that they heard or that they played or that they danced to or that they sang within their childhoods. And it reinforces for me every single time that this is something that is within us. It's within our souls and it's, it has a power to spark these connections again in our brains. So you see, you can find so much footage of this on, you know, just on, on YouTube, for instance, you'll see people who don't can't recall the, the names of their family members anymore. And yet they can sing along to a piece of music that they learned when they were 10 years old. It's amazing. Yeah. 
I know my mum had dementia and part of the problem was sometimes getting words out. She could still get on that keyboard and could remember, you know, how to play some of the music that she'd learned as a, as a small child. So that's very, that is very, very, very true. What's your view about ABRSM exams? When parents come along, would you encourage them to sit those exams? So we try to really take it on a child by child basis. And by that, I really do mean the child rather than what the parent always thinks is is right. We, you know, we are, we've seen children across the board. And the one thing I would say about these exams is that for some children, they are a lovely milestone. They're a lovely marker. They're a lovely way to kind of monitor their progress and see how they're doing. But they really are not for everybody. And you do not have to sit an exam to show that you are progressing. And you do not have to work towards an exam to to move forward with your studies. They are very classical exams. And that is not the only way to to play music. So within our uh, Music Monsters course, we give the children the opportunity to work towards what we call a prep test. So that is an associated board exam. It's an official exam. It's something that is, you know, internationally renowned, but it's optional. And the prep test is a very, very low pressured exam. They can't actually fail it. It gives them the opportunity to try out the exam conditions, to go along to an exam centre, to meet a real examiner, to do this kind of practice exam. They get a certificate, they get a report, but it is very encouraging and it's very it's always a very positive experience and we can then see from that how the child is within that environment whether it's something that did push them forward and make them excited to 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 reach this this accolade or whether actually it just put an awful lot of pressure on them in which case we would say you don't don't do the exam it's absolutely fine and yeah it's really really key I think to think that you don't have to sit these exams Now, I know you've chosen to homeschool your children, haven't you? Which is completely different to Music Monsters. Could you talk to our listeners about why you've chosen to do that? And I suppose, what are the challenges and what are the benefits? Absolutely. So yes, so we've got we've got three children. One is our oldest is, is five years old. So if he was in the school system, he would be in year one at the moment. We've got a little girl who's just about to turn four. And then we've got Oscar, who is four months old. We never, ever thought that this would be something that we would do as a family. In fact, we had, you know, very strong aspirations about what school we wanted um, them to go to and what we wanted them to, to achieve. And it was actually during the pandemic when our oldest, he was in, he was actually in preschool at the time and the school was closed, everything closed in in that, in that March. And he was back at home with us. And we were really, really shocked to see how much he came on in that time and how much calmer he was, how much, and he, he wasn't, I wouldn't say that he was a child that was experiencing problems at school. He wasn't at all, but his, his learning just, just flew and he was able to focus on the things that he really loved as well. He's very much into engineering. He likes building. He likes the way that things work. And we were able to tailor what we were teaching him to his interests and build that into his play as well, you know, using Lego and connects and, you know, all these kinds of materials. And it opened our eyes simply to the idea that children of this young age can learn so well through play and really this is what is rooted in music monsters as well we found that his style of learning was very play-based he learned to read 
so quickly. His math skills came on so much more because we were able to tailor that teaching specifically to him. And this is absolutely no criticism of, of schools at all. We are massive, massive advocates for, for education in schools and for children's education within that setting. But a teacher cannot tailor their teaching to each individual child in that way. We don't know what the future will hold for us in terms of home educating. Right now, it works brilliantly for us. We get to go on day trips when we when we want to. We get to, to build our own curriculum and we get to build it around the work that we do as well. But they probably will at some point go back to school. It's something that if you look at sort of Scandic countries, they don't tend to start formal learning, formal education until they're seven years old. That's kind of the marker that we've got in our minds at the moment that we'll take check and think, is this still working for us or is it not? But the beauty of home education is that you can you can always ask yourself that question at any point. You can think, do we want to continue living here? Do we want to continue educating in this way? Do we want to go and spend a bit of time doing this? The restrictions are, are, are gone. Um, and this is definitely one of the things that works for us as a family at the moment. It does massively have its challenges, especially working as, as business owners around having three very young children at home with us all the time. But we find ways around that. So we tend to do a lot of our admin, for instance, in the evenings when the children have, have gone to bed. When we are with the children, we are with the children. We try to separate the two very much but having said that the children are also very involved in the development of our music monsters program as well everything gets tried and tested on them if it doesn't make them laugh if they're not enjoying themselves it doesn't make its way into the program and it's yeah it, it works very very nicely in that way too did you get quite a bit of pressure from the local authority or from the school when you said that you weren't going to send your little boy back to school to be honest, we we didn't. It's not in this country. It's it's not a legal requirement for children to go to school. In fact, what we didn't know before we went down this route is that school is an opt-in service. So the, the automatic default is that children are educated at home and you opt in to, take, to send them to school. So we, the legal requirement is that a child from the age of five has to be educated. That's it. So there's that. There's no pressure at all for him to go to school. And it's it's as long as you are showing that you are providing education and that you are providing what they need at that particular age, then that, that, that it's absolutely fine. And it's, it was actually very, very supported. The, the last thing, I suppose, if, if when they get to seven, you want to send them to school, are you confident that you'll be able to get them to the primary school that you want them to be in, which presumably is, is your local primary school? Will there be any restrictions then, anything there for you to, to, to just keep an eye on? It's in some ways, it actually opens up a few more doors to us because when you apply for a child to enter into reception, you obviously are, you know, mostly going to be going to your most local school. Everybody is applying at the same time and you're, you know, fighting for places, really, especially if it's a very good school. When children move up into, to, you know, what is sometimes termed as juniors, when they go into, when they're seven years old, the ratios change and you're actually able to have a couple more children within a class, which means that often there are suddenly some spaces available within a class that may not have been there otherwise. So within our town, we are able to then kind of look 
a little bit past what would be our catchment school and think, okay, well, what would be our preferred schools if we could go to any school, if it wasn't a question of where we lived, which is often so much just a postcode lottery. And in theory, it could give us a little bit more choice. Now, we are very careful to make sure that he, although, you know, we do, as I say, tailor his learning, um, we also make sure that we are following the national curriculum he goes to he goes to a forest school he goes to a little engineering school and he goes to various things so that he is used to going to places without us as well we're very aware that if part of our bigger plan is for him to go back into a mainstream school we want to make sure that he has those skills that he could happily integrate again you know i think it's quite interesting the approaches that are increasing in terms of access to education in all honesty, I think that it's one of the things that the pandemic has, has has done for the better is has shown people that there are other ways, not just within education, but within lots of the, lots of areas of our lives, that we were all kind of on this this rat race, weren't we? We were on this like tread, treadmill that we couldn't couldn't get off, and having the time and the space for that time that period of time where the world kind of slowed down really for us as a family it allowed us to really consider our options look at what was working for us within our home life and what wasn't and rather than just thinking oh well that's what everybody does and so we'll just carry on and we thought actually what can we do differently and this at the moment this works really well for us. Lauren can I just say a huge thank you for for coming on today's show telling us all about Music Monsters. Absolutely fascinating. And of course, the homeschooling, which I've never had the opportunity to talk to anybody who's homeschooled or is planning to homeschool their children for the foreseeable future. So that's also been eye-opening. And thank you for sharing that with with our listeners. And I'm sure there'll be some of them that will want to learn more about that at at some point in, in the future. So thank you ever so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast with me, your host, Susan Pallister. If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.